What do you do when your mom has had Alzheimer's for more than a decade and you suddenly become her primary caregiver? When I went looking for answers, I ended up creating a podcast. Welcome to Fading Memories. I'm your host, Jennifer, and thank you for tuning in today. This podcast offers advice, wisdom, and hope from caregivers who have lived the experience and survived to tell the tale. Think of us as your caregiver best friend. As caregivers, we know that life is a journey, and with Pharmacy Wipes, you'll have products that support you at each twist and turn. It is important to them that they create products that are both safe and effective while being efficient and practical. For over 15 years, they have been dedicated to providing you with high quality first aid, personal care, and home health care products that truly work. Take a look at their bathing cloths, which are great for caregivers, campers, or messy people. Another great product is their foaming rinse-free shampoo and body wash. This product may help you eliminate bathing challenges. Got odors in your home? Who doesn't? Pharmacy Wipes has an odor eliminator spray that actually gets rid of smells, not just cover them up. You can get Pharmacy Wipes almost anywhere. Your local drugstore, grocery store, their website, and Amazon. When you need specific products, you'll be able to get them fast. Pharmacy Wipes, helping you care for yourself and those you love. You don't necessarily want to say, how are you doing financially? How much have you saved for retirement? Um, you know, how much am I going to get when you die? You don't want to look like you're being selfish. That's not the point of these conversations. The point of these conversations is not to, um, you know, point out your parents' lack of planning. If they haven't done a good job of saving, you don't want to make them feel embarrassed. What you want to do is let them know that you love them and that you care for them. And that if they ever need help, you're going to need some information so you can provide that help. That's Cameron Huddleston an author, speaker, and award-winning journalist with 20 years of experience writing about personal finance. Today on the show, she and I are going to discuss her new book, Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, and how to have essential conversations with your parents about their finances. Now you can join Important Alzheimer's Disease Research right from home with Picnic Health, Go to picnichealth.com slash memories to sign up and get $25. What is Picnic Health? They collect and digitize all of your medical records into one online account. Then you can consent to share anonymized data to medical researchers. By examining this real-world data, the researchers can discover answers that can't be found in clinical trials. There is important information in each person's unique healthcare journey, so share your story. If you're caring for someone with Alzheimer's, you can sign up on their behalf and manage their medical records with a Picnic Health account. Learn more at picnichealth.com memories and get $25 when you sign up. You can find the link in the show notes and on our website. Hello, listeners. With me today is Cameron Huddleston. If you are on Instagram, you may have seen her. She is a financial consultant. And she has a brand new book called Mom, Dad, We Need to Talk. And we are here to discuss how to talk to your parents about their finances. Yay, that's a that's a doozy. <laughs> so thanks for joining me, Cameron. <laughs> of course. Thanks for having me. So tell us the story of how you how you kind of came to write this book and how you 
how this this particular topic became a passion for you. Certainly. So I have been a personal finance journalist for more than 20 years. I've written for a variety of publications about money. Um, and so you think that I would have been smart enough to have conversations with my, with my parents about their finances, but I didn't. And so I wrote the book because I didn't want people to make the same mistake I made, which was waiting until an emergency to have those conversations. My father actually, he actually passed away at the age of 61. He had a heart attack. He was in a second marriage. He was an attorney, yet he did not have a will. Oh, okay. Work. So he should have known better, right? Yes. Second marriage. And so that was, that was fine. You know, unfortunately it didn't end up too badly. I mean, I've heard so many horror stories about people who have died without wills and, you know, family ends up fighting and fighting it out in court, which can be incredibly expensive, but it was certainly, it was a lot more awkward than it needed to be if he had simply put his wishes in writing. Um, and then my mother was diagnosed at the age of 65 with Alzheimer's disease. And I was 35 at the mm -hmm. time. And I had to scramble. I had to scramble to make sure she got in to meet with an attorney to update all of her legal documents, to name me her financial power of attorney, to name me her healthcare power of attorney. And then I had to play detective to figure out the details of her finances as I was getting involved and as she was forgetting things. And that could have been avoided if I had simply sat down with her while she was still healthy and had conversations, you know, if I had said, mom, give me, give me some details, you know, and put it in writing. Let me know what sort of accounts you have. Let me know what you, what you want. If you ever need long-term care, what sort of care you wanted. But I didn't have those conversations and I had to figure everything out on the fly. And, um, I know I made mistakes along the way and I'm someone who's pretty good with money, <laughs> but you know, like I said, it could have been avoided if I had simply had conversations with my parents, you know, had, you know, talked to my dad, do you have a will, you know, had conversations with my mom, knowing what sort of accounts she had so that some of them, you know, wouldn't slip under my radar. And I didn't find out about them until they were almost turned over to the state as unclaimed property. I mean, an account with $50,000 in it that I didn't even know existed. And so, I wrote my book so other people wouldn't make that mistake so that they would have these conversations, understand why they're important. And I walk people through everything you need to ask, the information you need to find out, what to do if your parents are reluctant to have these conversations. Well, because yeah, culturally it's be. not, it's not, it's not kosher to like, Hey mom, dad. So tell me how well you've been doing financially. Like, did you make good money while you were working? You know, just kind of like, that's how those questions I think feel maybe to the person who's being asked, you know, and for some reason, when we say, well, you know, have you planned well for your future? Almost seems like a challenge. Like, like you don't trust them. It's like very, I don't know why it's so negative. I mean, it's a great time to be like, yeah, baby, we did really good. <laughs> or, you know, there's some challenges and we might, you know, we're going to have to be careful or, You'd think that because most people say, well, I want to live in my home until I die, which that is an entire other episode. One of these days I'm going to have people know my feeling is that is just dumb because assisted livings are so much different than they were even 10 years ago, I believe. 
And why would you want to like maintain a home and a yard and all of the responsibilities with just maintaining a household, cooking, cleaning, yada, yada. Like, you know, when you're 85, let somebody else do all that crap. So I, exactly. I am not. Yeah. And when, and my listeners know we moved recently and while we were house hunting, my husband made the comment, this is our last home, unless we have to move to assisted living. And I was like, yay, I've managed to convince one person. And at least it was the person who mattered the most. So I won't have to argue with him, but you know, everybody wants, they, they say, I want to live in my home until I die, but I don't want to be a burden to you. You know, you kids, hello, <laughs> that's probably a great time to maybe not launch into this conversation, but maybe ease into this conversation. Because I personally think most of the time that is a mutually exclusive desire. Like you want to live in your home. Great. You might have to bring in help. You probably have to have, you know, housekeepers, yard maintenance, caregivers, blah, 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 drivers, all the, you know, so how, how should we start these conversations, especially for those of us that are like you and I are, I think you're probably a Gen Xer that are older, not older. Geez, that sounds terrible. <laughs> it's a little bit early this morning for me. Midlife, midlife, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, well, my paternal grandma lived to 103. So yeah, just barely at 100, 103 and I'm 55. Yeah, I'm hit, I'm solidly middle-aged right now. <laughs> but yeah, how do we launch into, I don't know why I keep using that word. How do we ease into these conversations when culturally, you know, we're we're trained not to have these conversations? Well, you know, that long-term care conversation is one way to ease into the topic. If you, if your parents do happen to mention, even offhandedly, oh, don't ever, don't ever put me in a nursing home, or I want to stay in my home, or, you know, I, I've been reading all these articles about how bad nursing homes have been hit by the pandemic, and you can say, well, yeah, I've, I've been reading it too, and it's been really bad, and I know that you want to stay in your home, but let's talk about how that would happen. Do you have a plan to stay in your home? Are you going to downsize into a one-story house so that you don't have to worry about getting up and down stairs? Do you have a plan to make your bathroom handicap accessible? Do you have money to hire someone to clean your house, to mow the lawn, to take care of you? so that you can stay in your house. That's one way to start the conversation is to talk to them about, well, how do you plan to stay in your house? Because they're saying it, but whether they've actually thought about it is another thing altogether. And they probably haven't. They, they probably haven't. And it's interesting because I've seen statistics about how a majority of adults do not have any sort of long-term care plan and they don't have a way to pay for long-term care which can be incredibly expensive. So this is one way to start the conversation. And I do recognize that it can be a taboo topic. I mean, I grew up in a household where my dad said, don't talk about money. It's not polite. Um, my mother, though, wasn't, she didn't treat it like a taboo topic. And so I wasn't afraid to talk to my mom about financial matters. In fact, before she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, I said to her, hey, mom, I think you should look into getting long-term care insurance. You live on your own because my parents were divorced. And if you need care, this would help pay for it. She took my advice and met with an insurance agent, but could not get long-term care insurance because of another pre-existing condition that made her too high risk. 
And I should have used that opportunity to say, okay, well, let's, let's figure out how are you going to pay for it? Let's look at your assets. Let's talk about the type of care you want. But I didn't, I didn't, I just, I totally dropped the ball. And then when she was starting to show signs of memory loss, it wasn't that I was afraid to talk to her about her finances at that point. It just meant that I was going to have to tell her that we needed to have that conversation because I could see she was forgetting things. And I was terrified of having to be the one to tell her that she appeared to be experiencing memory loss. And so, you know, waiting to have these conversations when there's an emergency, it can be a lot more emotional and people don't want to talk about their finances when there's an emergency. And so, you know, you don't necessarily want to say, how are you doing financially? How much have you saved for retirement? Um, you know, how much am I going to get when you die? You don't want to yeah. look like you're being selfish. That's not the point of these conversations. The point of these conversations is not to, um, you know, point out your parents' lack of planning. If they haven't done a good job of saving, you don't want to make them feel embarrassed. What you want to do is let them know that you love them and that you care for them and that if they ever need help, you're going to need some information so you can provide that help. And maybe it's a matter of saying, asking them about what if scenarios, what if something were to happen and you were in the hospital and I needed to make sure your bills got paid? What would that look like? How do I do it? Are your bills paid automatically? Are you writing checks? Okay, so if you're writing checks, have you named a power of attorney? to sign checks for you because I can't just sign your checks for the electric company or for your mortgage or for your rent unless you name me your power of attorney and I have that document and I can go to the bank and say, hey bank, I'm mom's power of attorney. She's in the hospital right now, so I need to start signing checks for her and I need to get access to her account. You know, There are lots of different ways to kind of ease into the conversation, like you said, not to just, <laughs> Not to just catch your parents off guard and like start, you know, asking them all these questions that they might seem are very personal, but easing into it, you know, using a story, using current events, asking about those what if scenarios. We're talking about the long term care issue. If it's something that they feel very strongly about not being a burden on you or staying in their home. So lots of ways to do it without it feeling too awkward. I know there's, well, there's a gal that I know. She was caring for her mom. And sometimes I think some people get steered in the wrong direction. And I'm not sure why. And I think she was one of them. But her mom, and maybe her mom was already in the more, not advances, but further along in the Alzheimer's than her daughter was aware because her mom flatly refused, would not tell her what bank she was at. I mean, refused to give her any crumbs. And so do you have suggestions for people like her that need, I mean, the daughter owned a home, mom had owned a home. She owned a home in the San Francisco Bay area. So anybody that's listening can kind of assume what that might've been worth. It needed to be cleaned out and it, it needed some TLC, although we got a seller's market going on. So that might not have been as big an issue, but she was actually told, no, you shouldn't become um, like her conservator, you know, because this person, this lawyer basically said, this is, this is how elder abuse starts, you know, elder financial abuse. I mean, I know it was like, when I heard that, I just wanted to scream and it was like, I'm sorry, but I, I really questioned why she was told that I wanted to know more details about the person who told her that. Cause I have a feeling that there was some ethnic bias going on. If you know what I mean, that was just mm -hmm. my, my grand assumption. I have no idea why I thought that other than the obvious, but what, what should somebody do when 
Their parent refuses to give them any access, no power of attorney, won't tell you what the bank account number is, won't tell you what the pin code zero, you know, where, what should they do in that situation? I mean, this gal, like she got zero help every step of the way. That is, <laughs> I hate hearing that. So I would first point out that, you know, obviously a lot of your listeners are, have a parent or a loved one who is experiencing memory loss. And the first thing to know about this is that if you have a parent who has been diagnosed with dementia, is showing signs of memory loss, they already need help with their finances. Researchers at Johns Hopkins recently found through a very long-term study that those with Alzheimer's disease and related dementias start showing a pattern of late and missed payments up to six years before a diagnosis. Up to six years. So your, your parent has already been making mistakes with their money long before you even realize that they're having memory issues. And I thought I had gotten involved at the right time with my mom's finances, but then she passed away last January. And I recently got around to going through some of her documents that she had collected before I got involved with their finances. And I found collection notices for medical bills from 2005. She was diagnosed in 2008. Okay. And I just felt this horrible sense of guilt. Like, oh my gosh, my mom was making these mistakes and I didn't even realize it. And I thought I had gotten involved soon enough. So if your parent has been diagnosed or is showing signs of memory loss, you have to be involved in their finances now. You cannot wait because they could be making mistakes and really jeopardizing their financial well-being. You know, and they're going to need as much money as possible to pay for care that they're going to need. And so that's the first thing you need to know. But what if mom and dad or dad doesn't want you to get involved? And this can be very common because with Alzheimer's disease and dementia, you can become paranoid. And you know, you you're, you know, your children might be offering to help, but you're like, well, why do you want to help me? I don't need your help. You're just trying to get to my bank account and steal my money. So what you're going to have to do is play detective. You're going to have to, when you're at your parent's house, look at the mail that's sitting out and see what bank it's coming from. Maybe it even means kind of opening up their wallet and seeing what sort of debit cards and credit cards they have. You know, is there a social security card in the wallet, which there shouldn't be, but... <laughs> You know, start playing detective and gathering information, you know, looking looking at that mail that's sitting open on the dining room table, especially paying attention if there are, you know, late payment notices and collection notices. That's certainly one way to go about it. If you have already been named power of attorney by your parent and you have that document and you see that mom is no longer capable of managing her finances on her own, go to the bank. I have been named my mom's power of attorney. Here is the document. My mom is experiencing memory loss. You know, maybe she's already been diagnosed. Maybe she hasn't. I'm worried about her financial well-being. I don't have online access to her account. Can you help me? Now, of course, financial institutions want to be careful because they want to protect their customers. But if you're in there and you're saying, I'm really concerned about my mom, I have the document, they are legally <laughs> required because you're a power of attorney now. And if it's a durable power of attorney, durable, general durable power of attorney, not a springing power of attorney, but, you know, general durable power of attorney, you know, you can show it to them and they really are supposed to give you access. And if you're getting any pushback, call the attorney and get the attorney to call the bank's attorney and say, hey, 
my, <laughs> we need some help here. You know, my, you know, this person needs access to my client's account because my client is now no longer capable of managing her finances on her own. If you have not been named power of attorney and your parent is a danger to himself or herself, you know, whether that is physically or financially, you might still be able to get your parent to go in to meet with an attorney and that attorney might still find your parent competent enough to sign the document, but it's probably too late. Then you have to go to the court system to be named conservator. You've got to get, you know, you've got to hire an attorney usually for yourself, for your parent. You've got to get a doctor, sometimes a couple doctors there to testify, but, and it's horrible. I mean, it's absolutely horrible. It costs a lot of money. It's time consuming. But you can't just let your parent endanger himself or herself financially. But sometimes that's what it takes. You've got to go through the court system so you can step in and take control. And yes, it's true that people who are named power of attorney, people who are appointed as conservator, some of those people do take advantage of their parents. They take advantage of that power but this is the benefit of having these conversations sooner rather than later. Your parent, by telling your parent, hey, you need to name a power of attorney, you need to do it now while you're still healthy enough, they have a choice in who's going to be managing their finances. And if they're reluctant to let you get involved, say, look, if you don't make this decision now, someone might step up and try to go to court and be named conservator if you're no longer capable of managing your finances on your own. And it might not be the person you would have chosen. If you want me, your child, to help you, We've got to go meet with an attorney and you've got to name me power of attorney so that I can help you when you need that help. And so that's that's really the benefit of having these conversations sooner than later. If you wait, then yeah, you might have to go through the court system, but you can't just you can't just leave your parent to bankrupt himself or herself by mismanaging their funds and giving away all their money to scammers and who knows who. Now we're going to take a quick break for an ad. These ads help me continue to bring the show to you for free. I started using a product that all you caregivers need to try. I started taking AG1 from Athletic Greens after my workouts because I needed a quick and healthy way to refuel my body. While there are lots of options, most don't taste great, and I don't eat or drink things that don't taste good. So what is AG1? Well, with one delicious, mildly tropical flavored scoop, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins and minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to fuel you for your crazy day ahead. AG1 helps support mental clarity throughout the day and you know how important brain health is to this gal. It has over 7,000 five-star reviews and costs less than $3 a day. And you know your time is worth more than three bucks. Athletic Greens was created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover. I'm sure you're aware that there may be a connection between poor gut health and dementia, so this is another way to help protect your brain. As caregivers to someone with a cognitive impairment, this is also an excellent way to get much-needed nutrition into someone who is slowly losing the ability to eat. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, which is also important for brain health, and five free travel packs with your first purchase. 
All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now back to our conversation. Or bankrupt you because you don't have the finances to help take care of them. Exactly. Which is close to being the case with this gal that I knew. I, I haven't seen her for a while, so I don't know. Yeah. Cause I told her, I'm like, sell your mom's house. And that's what she told me. She was advised differently. And I wanted to like smack my head into the wall, which I know is not good for my brain. So I avoided that temptation. And it's, it's hard because it's like when you're on the other side, like you and I are, you know, you can look back and go, well, dang, you know, it's like you see things that you could have and maybe should have done better. I don't want to say should, but you did the best you could. But yes, there's always room for improvement. And the same on my side. The one thing that I had going for me was my husband was in banking for 20 years. So he he has relationships with the bankers and we had, you know, so I am not a fan of banks. <laughs> I love being able to use apps and online payment and not go near a bank. But having a relationship with a personal banker and people who know you so that you don't just show up at, you know, bank of who's my what's it and say, hey, my mom's, you know, got memory loss and I need to be her power of attorney. They're going to look at you like if they're smart, they will look at you like you are a probable scammer. And then it's just going to make life so much harder for you. And, and having a personal banker, which I know, man, that makes me sound like old and <laughs> like I have way more money than I do. But, you know, we just we my husband had relationships with people in the bank. And because of that, they you know, their trust level of us was better. I mean, we still had to jump through all the hoops and do the notarizing of signatures and yada, yada. But there wasn't that underlying um, skepticism or, you know, like them giving us the side of like, you know, these, these two gals, my, me and my sister, they on the up and up and it, you know, it, it made things a lot easier. So if you're like me, you still might want to have a little relationship with people at the bank, <laughs> at least your parents bank, which thankfully was my parents and I had, we lived in different cities. So we banked at the same bank, but different branches. So that helped, but it also helped to know personally my dad's financial planner. So it was it a does. lot. It does yeah. help. And if you, once you've, you know, if your parent has named you power of attorney, I recommend going with your parent to their bank and so they can see you and your parent says, Hey, you know, this is my daughter, Susan. And I, you know, just drafted the documents to name her power of attorney. I'm still doing okay at this point, but I want you to know that she's my power of attorney and that, um, you know, if she comes in and starts needing access to my accounts, it's okay. We've had conversations about this. I went with my mother to the bank and I think that was incredibly helpful. I mean, we sat down together and, you know, showed them the document. They knew who I was and, you know, it was the same woman every time. Like she still, she, she knew my name because I would go back in there over the years. And this was, I mean, it was a period of 12 years that I managed my mom's finances. That's interesting that you guys did both. I have a question because I know my parents had a trust and my sister and I were powers of attorney for the money. I was the healthcare power of attorney. And it got complicated because after my dad died, it was difficult. We couldn't find in the trust documents where 
my mom wasn't the executor of the trust, which would have been a nightmare and a disaster. When you are named power of attorney, that takes effect immediately, not necessarily after somebody is deceased, because my sister and I never even thought about our role as power of attorney till after dad died. And you were saying that it depends on the power of attorney. And then your sinuses decided to go bonkers. (laughs) So there are different types of power of attorney. And if your parent um, has named you general durable power of attorney, that general means that you have broad powers. If it's limited, that means that you are limited to handling only certain transactions. Durable means that, yes, it takes effect right away and it remains in effect if there is cognitive decline. Springing power of attorney means there has to be some event that allows that power of attorney to spring into effect. Typically, you know, people might say, well, I need to have a diagnosis of dementia or there needs to be a stroke. And that often requires that a doctor gets involved and can say, yes, this person is no longer competent. The power of attorney can now act as the agent for this person. Um, What's interesting is that power of attorney does not last into death. Mm. So once you, once your parent dies, if you've been named power of attorney, that power goes away. You have to be the executor of the estate or the trustee for the trust to be able to continue making handling finances for your parent after they have died. So, okay. So you've got to have the document. Yeah. Well, we had the document. I had a printed copy of the trust. I had a digital copy of the trust and all of this. Most of my listeners should also know happened. My dad had kidney failure which affected his cognitive ability. And because mom was so advanced with her Alzheimer's, it wasn't obvious that my dad was having cognitive issues. It wasn't until after he died and talking to other guests where it was like, I mean, literally I had, it wasn't just an aha moment. It was like getting smacked in the face with a bat. It was like, well, duh. Okay. Yeah. That was a definite sign that I totally missed. Um, So I guess I'm assuming we were the power of attorney, but nothing really kicked in until after he died, just because we had to scramble to figure out what the hell to do, which was difficult. Most of my listeners also know my sister and I don't agree on anything. And my (laughs) husband, knowing being my husband, having been in banking for 20 years and knowing the um, dad's financial planner personally, He knew, you know, like my sister and I are trying to figure out what to do with dad and mom and the dog and, you know, like money was not, you know, paying the bills and figuring out that stuff. That was not top of mind. It was not in the top 10 things to deal with at the moment, although they needed to be. So he just took over, which of course didn't go over too well with the sister, but that's okay. I mean, he saved our bacon, but, you know, (laughs) and that's because he knew what to do and he knew how to speak bank. I don't speak bank. (laughs) This is foreign language. I'm not interested in learning. So it wasn't until after my dad died, as I've mentioned, mom was technically the executor of the trust. Holy hell, that would have been a nightmare because she had no idea what was going on. We actually had to go to an elder law attorney. He read the trust to find where it said if mom was incompetent, my sister and I were 
we were co-finance trustees, but I was the healthcare power of attorney. So, okay, that kind of, kind of wondered how all that worked because we went from zero to a hundred, you know, in three months and it was just insane. So now one of the chapters in your book that I haven't read yet, but because we only have one child and we've managed to do all of our estate planning in the last year and a half or so, now I'm going to have to do what this chapter says, but it's called talk to your, pay it forward, talk to your kids first. So my husband and I should probably set up a springing power of attorney with her in case something happens to us. Is that how, am I like following the plan here? (laughs) I would say, go ahead and do the general durable power of attorney. Okay. And here's the thing for anyone who is worried (laughs) about giving your kids that much power, they don't really have any power until they have the document. And when it's springing, then there are hoops that they're going to have to jump over. Mm. So your daughter's going to then have to like prove that you are no longer competent. She's going to have to get a doctor to like, you know, go and, and testify and say, you know, she's, she's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and she can't handle her finances. So the daughter should now be allowed to step and do her role as her agent for her mom's finances. It's just easier to do that general durable power of attorney and what you could do, I mean, obviously, I'd hope that you trust your daughter enough <laughs> I do your finances. <laughs> so, I mean, you could give her the document now, um, or you could just hang on to it and say, look, here are the situations when you can start acting as my power of attorney. Here's where the document is because she's going to need it. She can't just call up the bank and say, hey, mom just named me power of attorney, so I need to get access to her bank account today. Okay, she's going to have to have the document there. Um, And so, I mean, you could, you know, you could go to the bank with your daughter and say, hey, we've drawn up these documents. Here they are. If you want to keep them on file, I'm fine right now. I just want you to know this is my daughter and I've named her power of attorney and we have a whole plan for what to do if she needs to step in. But just wanted you to let wanted to let you know, really, that's probably the best way to go about it but like what you just said in your story about your dad and your mom by doing all of this in advance it's going to make things a lot easier if there is that emergency because you said you know you didn't want to have to deal with all the financial issues that cropped up when your father passed away and your husband got involved and helped you out i mean that's the problem of waiting and not planning is because when there is that emergency emotions are running high and people don't want to want don't want to think about finances. You've got other things to deal with, but the finances do have to be dealt with. And so someone's got to be able to deal with them. And so if you've already made that plan and all the documents are in place, that side of things can be easier. You know, and so for anyone who's already involved with a parent who has dementia, gather as much information as you can now about your parents' finances. Get access to the bank account now so you can be monitoring things from behind the scenes, making sure that your parent is paying the bills, making sure that they're not writing checks left and right to every organization that's asking for money. Technology can be your friend. I mean, there is, I actually work for a company that provides financial account monitoring for older adults. It's called Careful with two L's. You can link your parents' bank and credit card accounts up to the careful service, it's going to monitor 24-7 for 
mistakes like late bill payments, duplicate payments. It's going to look for charitable contributions, gift card purchases, and you're going to get alerts when it spots something unusual. And then you can call mom and say, hey, mom, I just got this alert. There's something that seems to be going on in your bank account that's a little unusual. You have a conversation. You can get involved. And if there's fraud, then you can stop. You can act quickly to stop it. And so, you know, even if you don't use the careful service, sign up to receive alerts from your parents' bank account whenever there are transactions made or whenever they're making transactions on your credit card accounts. Use technology to monitor your parents' accounts so that you can help protect them because if they already have dementia, I can guarantee you they are making mistakes with their finances already. Well, it's easy to do. One of the things that really frustrated and just it really, I, I don't, my husband deals with the finances. It's not that I'm not capable. It's this, I hate it. You know, it's like, I like addition and subtraction. I like more addition than subtraction and some multiplication with dollar signs in front. That's my idea of nice math. I can balance checkbooks and I can do all that and budgeting and all that. You know, I just don't want to. And one of the things that just, just set me off like anger at a level 12 was nine months after my dad had died, I'm still getting freaking bills from the hospital and the ambulance company. And I'm like, you know what? Blow. You know, just, it just, it was like, didn't I pay this? And why am I, why am I getting a bill nine months later? Like, you know what? You didn't bill me within the first 60 days. Go away. That was seriously my attitude. Fortunately, hubby talked me off the ledge and we paid them. But it, it you know, it's like, I know I paid them because I kept track because my sister didn't trust me. And we basically dealt with the finances separately, but together, which is a whole, like I said, that's a whole other episode. And, you know, she took care of some things. I took care of other things. And I made sure that everything went pretty smoothly with dealing with family and money is not fun at all. But, you know, when you get bills, nine, you know, like he was in, he died March 2nd, 2017, and I'm getting bills at the end of September. I'm like, what the hell? Like, I know I paid this. And then, you know, we got a bill in the, you know, in the mail for the ambulance ride that he shouldn't have been, shouldn't have been on because he was on hospice. And the insurance company sent a check, but it was like folded into the thing. And my husband, you know, he's like fighting with the, with the companies. And it's like, uh, there's a check right there. And it's like, oh yeah, it's just really easy. And if, if it's not things that you've dealt with before, it's really easy to screw stuff up. You might think you paid the bill because it's, it's so far, you know, removed from the event that if you've got any kind of memory issue, it's just, oh, yikes. It's just, it's very the system is really not cool. So <laughs> what other things, I know one of the things that was a huge challenge after my dad died, my dad was a retiree of AT&T and I had to call them and cancel his cell phone and cell phone service and all that. So I call up and I said, you know, he's passed away. I have the death certificates. I need to cancel this account. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Do you have his pin? No, I'm sorry. I don't have his pin number. Oh, okay. Well, blah, 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 blah. Okay, I need his PIN number. I don't have his PIN number. He died. Oh, yes, I'm so sorry. I must have told them five times in the course of 10 minutes or 12 or so minutes that he died. And it's like, you know, it's a good thing I'm not an emotional wreck because this is BS. And it actually took us having to go into the store and dealing with them for an hour. And it, 
It was just ridiculous. All because I didn't have his pin. Like, really? This is the, this is the dumbest thing. So we should we have a we have a couple of accounts that are hidden. Our daughter knows where to find them, but it lists all the passwords for all the important accounts. That's also something that you need to know. Unfortunately, do you address that in the book? It just came. So I I, I didn't have a chance yes. to read the whole thing. <laughs> Yes. So really, the more information you can get about your parents' finances, the better. And you need to know usernames and passwords if they had them. I was fortunate. My mother was not technologically savvy at all. She didn't even own a computer. Okay. And so she was writing checks. Um, You know, she did not have an online bank account. So once we went to the bank and let the bank know that I was her power of attorney, I went and set up online banking for her so I could monitor things from behind the scenes. And I set up all of her accounts online, reached out to all of her financial institutions, said, hey, I'm my mom's power of attorney. Here's the document. I'll send it to you. Um, You know, filled out any forms they needed me to fill out. But that worked in my favor because I could generate the usernames and the passwords. And I had a list of everything. And it's so important to be organized when you're managing finances for someone else. I would recommend that you... First of all, have a list of your parents' personal information, the social security number, the driver's license number, your parents' birth date, if you don't remember what it is, Um, their, you know, mom's maiden name, the Medicare number or the Medicaid number, because anytime you get on the phone with a financial institution, you're going to need this basic information. So having that list, whether it's a computer document or if it's something that you've written on a piece of paper where you can access it easily And then having a list of all the accounts and the account numbers and the phone number for the financial institution and the username and the password, you know, and that's that's hard because your parent might not want to give you that information. And, you know, mom doesn't want you to know how to access her bank account and you might not be able to, unfortunately, until you know, mom is in the, you know, perhaps middle stage of Alzheimer's and really is not capable of handling finances on her own. And you can go to the bank and say, look, you know, mom is now no longer capable of handling her finances. I am the power of attorney. I need access to the online bank account and I need you to help me. (laughs) Mr. Bank representative, you need to help me get access to my mom's account because she can't manage her finances anymore. You know, unfortunately, that's a little bit late in the game, but sometimes you might not have any other option, but but to wait if you can't gain access and if your parent isn't willing to help you. But I mean, I think most people realize, too, that those people with Alzheimer's and dementia, they have good days and bad days. So. Maybe you ask today for access and mom is not in a good mood and she says, no way. But you try again tomorrow because she's forgotten that you asked the day before and you say, mom, you know, in case something happens, I I need to make sure that your bills get paid. So how do I get access to your bank account? And she might be in a great mood that day and she might say, oh, yeah, okay, let me show you how I do it. Here's my list of all my usernames and passwords. And so... Just because you get shot down once doesn't mean that you shouldn't try again. But the more information you have, the better, because as your parent declines, you're going to have to get more and more involved if you are that financial caregiver. So now I have a I have a slight curveball question for you. Um, You mentioned careful does monitoring for um, people's financial accounts, et cetera. 
We have a very large percentage of people that are solo agers, so they don't have children or spouses. What do you recommend for people in that position? Do you, you know, like maybe you have a niece or a nephew, what kind of power of attorney should you be granting somebody that's not necessarily a blood relative or an immediate family member? I mean, what should some people, I mean, stuff happens. You might, you might lose a spouse, you know, I'm 55, my husband's 57. Maybe I might kill him this weekend. You never know. Oh, no, no, he's okay. But, you know, it's just, I have, having been married forever, I don't think about solo aging. And I do have a daughter, but when we planned our, we did our trust planning, that was one of the questions the lawyer asked us. What happens if your daughter goes first? Which I told him I thought was very rude to ask of me, <laughs> but it's a very important thing to consider. So what should people do in that case, if you don't have children, you know, solo agers or the other term that people might be familiar with that we're trying to eradicate is um, elder orphans, which yeah, that's not a good term. <laughs> You've got to identify someone you can trust who can help make financial decisions for you and healthcare decisions for you as you age. And maybe it is a niece or a nephew. Maybe it's, um, you know, a really close family friend. You've got to find someone who, like I said, you can trust to help you with your finances. Makes sense. And this, the conversation that I had where this whole solo agers happened, we were discussing revisiting these decisions. And basically we came across, we, we landed on, we have spring forward and fall back. And that's when you're supposed to check your smoke detector batteries and, and I guess your CO2 <laughs> detector batteries. And now we're going to also revisit um, you know, if we've chosen a niece or a family friend or whatever, you know, then that's a good time to say, Hey, you know, I, we had this conversation six months ago about you being my power of attorney. Are you still comfortable with that? So that's also, you know, a good time to check in on, on people's finances and on all it's like, you know, adulting sucks. <laughs> I'd really like to just go back to like, you know, when you're raising small kids and that's your biggest worry is, moving up the corporate ladder and making sure the kid doesn't kill itself. <laughs> Identify that person, name them power of attorney, name them your healthcare proxy, um, give them the documents and give them some information about your finances, or at least write it down and tell them where they can find it so that they can help you. If you need help, you've got to have a plan because what happens is if you don't, and you don't have close family members, and let's say that you, um, you develop dementia and you are put into some sort of facility. I mean, a court is going to appoint someone to be your conservator and guardian. And there are, here's something to know though. There are professional conservators out there. Um, and actually California um, is really, it's really good with its system. Like you can find professional conservators out there and you can like, reach out to someone and say, Hey, listen, I want you to be my power of attorney. If something happens to me and I'm going to, you know, name you. And you, I mean, those people get paid obviously, but these are people who have experiencing managing money for someone else. And so if you don't have a family member, there are professionals out there who can help you. That sounds, I'm, I live in California and I didn't know that. I just hope we don't screw up that, that system 
with the whole abuse that's happened with, you know, anybody that's dialed into pop culture knows Britney Spears was her conservatorship was a nightmare. And so hopefully we don't go the other direction with the pendulum and, and undo what you just said was a good system. So I didn't even know that was a good system. So what last tips do you have for the listeners before I let you go to do all the hundred other things you need to do today? So my advice is don't wait to have conversations with your parents and loved ones about their finances. Make sure they've named a power of attorney and a healthcare proxy to make medical decisions for them. If they can't, you need to be doing the same. You need to have someone you trust, not just your spouse, because your spouse can die before you. Um, And so you need someone else, a backup plan. Um, And if you are caring for someone with dementia, you need to be involved with their finances already. And so finding a way to start easing in. And that's, you know, the best way to do it is to offer help, not to say, mom, you are no longer capable of doing anything anymore. I need to take over, but say, Hey, let me help you. Let me help you set up automatic bill payments to make things easier. Or let me help you set up online banking so you can check your bank account and make sure everything's okay. Finding a way to offer assistance, make it a win-win for both of you. Yep. That's definitely an excellent idea because nobody likes to be, they don't like their, their habits scrutinized. You know, like my husband's like, just tell me if you need money. It's like, no, just give me money. It's like, and I'm really super frugal. So it's not a big deal. Like if I want to buy something, it's not a big deal, but I don't want to ask. So I can see how that just translates into, well, I'm not going to tell you about my, my bank account. And, and then it just, you know, if, if we want to age well, we got to do all this crappy stuff <laughs> and it'll pay off in the end. I'm convinced of that. It's just, we just have to get over some of these cultural, I don't know what the right word is, this cultural habits that we've grown up with and where you don't talk about money or finances or death and dying and all that good stuff. It's like, man, it's like, I don't know. It's definitely better to have all these conversations, but sometimes it's you know, a little bit of uh, ignorance might be nice occasionally. <laughs> so you guys, <laughs> it this is, is a br- it's awkward, but it's important. Yeah. Like I said, if you want to age well and you don't want to be a burden on your family or your friends or whatever, just get through these conversations. They're a little awkward at first. You know, like I said, when the attorney said, well, what do you want done with your estate? If your daughter goes first, you know, it was first off, that was like, excuse me. And then there's a lot of getting in your head and thinking, cause you know, she's got a fiance, they're getting married this year and you, you start thinking, well, if we give it to him and then his family, your brain just starts popcorning all this stupid crap that is completely useless. And one day I realized I don't really care. I'll be dead <laughs> a little blunt, <laughs> but you know what? I'm like, I got to haunt him because he's made a bad choice. Well, I'll I'll worry about that one afterwards, you know, but it's, it's really not that big a deal. We really build it up into this, this life or death. Oh my God, I've got it all. No, it's really, it's actually really freeing. When you've had these conversations, you've made these plans. You do have to revisit them, especially those of us who've done it solid middle age. Like I said earlier that I am. You know, I, I plan to have to revisit this, these plans annually for many years. 
but that's okay because they're done. And, you know, if we got to make a little tweak, it's okay. So don't be afraid that it's, you know, depressing or sad or difficult. You know, that's just the negative buildup we put in our brains. So I suggest that everybody get this book, mom, dad, we need to talk how to have essential conversations with your parents about their finances. Start with yourself and your kids work into your parents. That's my suggestion. So I want to thank Cameron for being with us today for writing such an essentially important book. And maybe we'll have her back to talk more about careful. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'd love to come back and talk about a whole range of topics. I can <laughs> long-term care, not aging at home. <laughs> I have a oh, lot yeah, my of favorite topic. All those things. I think we'll definitely we'll we'll have to plan the not aging at home. Definitely, I have a lot of opinions on that because my mother was <laughs> in memory care for eight years, and I've told my kids already. I don't expect you to take care of me. I don't, I don't want you to abandon me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I don't expect you to take care of me. So. Certainly have a lot of thoughts on that. Awesome. Well, we will definitely plan that. And I want to thank you. And once again, I will be back with you guys next Tuesday. Thanks for sticking with me to the end of the first episode of season five. You know, these conversations are a lot harder to start than they are to have. So with that knowledge, just go have them. You will not regret it. Also, be sure to be signed up for our email newsletter list. We are going to be having giveaways. It's one way to find out how you can be on the show. And I've got other things brewing in the back of my little brain for this coming year. And now a quick sample of what you'll be getting in next week's episode. You are not a recreational therapist or occupational therapist. You're not uh, trained to develop some activities and to think out of the box every time. Uh, and it's normal. Me too. Some Right now, my mom, because she's a very light, late stage, I saw her last week and I... I didn't know what to do always for four hours with her a day. I was, uh, yeah, sometimes I opened the TV and we were watching TV together. But at one point, it's difficult to, to have an idea every minute. Then it's why we, it's why I want to help uh, families uh, to give them some adapted product for their loved one and they can engage and still have memorable moments together. Thank you for listening today. And once again, we'll be back in your ears next Tuesday. Please check out our sponsors and help support our show. Do you worry about your own brain health? Are you concerned that cognitive decline is just inevitable in your future? We all know we need to eat right, sleep, exercise, minimize stress, all of that. Did you also know that there are 17 nutrients that our brains are generally lacking, even if we have the healthiest diet possible? Yeah, I didn't either. And I wasn't thrilled to learn that. But ever since I started taking NeuroReserves Relevate, I had a miraculous discovery. My sugar cravings plummeted. We all know that sugar is toxic for the brain. So this was totally worth maintaining taking NeuroReserves. And I want to give you the opportunity to give them a try as well. Use my special link that you can find at the bottom of the show notes or on our website for 15% off one bottle or a subscription of NeuroReserve. You're not going to get a better deal anywhere else. Trust me, your brain is worth a few extra dollars a month.